Hi everyone, welcome back to the History in 20 podcast, hope you're all doing well. Today is a slightly different one. We are officially in the festive period, I mean that's pretty much from like mid-November onwards for me, already got my tree up. Um, so I thought I would do a special Christmas episode. Um, I thought we'll call it something like Christmas Through the Ages and we'll just discuss how celebrations of Christmas have gone on through through time. So, I mean, Christmas time, season of joy, traditions, so, but how was it celebrated? So today, like I said, we'll be looking at how Christmas festivities took place, right from the earliest Christmases, even before Christ, so how that worked, right up to the 21st century. So I'm going further back than I've ever been before, and further forward than I've ever been before, so enjoy. So, firstly, Christmas before Christ. So we're looking at kind of circa 5000 BC or CE, BCE, whatever you prefer to call it, to 750 BC or BCE. So although Christmas celebrations as we know them originate from celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, which is commonly known as the year zero, um, celebrations around the winter solstice period have always existed. So, for instance, archaeologists discovered that the Neolithic, which is just a fancy term for New Stone Age, people near Stonehenge, down in the south coast of England, celebrated the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year, which is the 21st of December, with festivities. So around 2,500 BC this was. So even the Stonehenge monument is actually erected in such a way that the tallest stone lines up with sunrise on that day. Now... In addition to celebrating the shortest day, meaning that longer days were then coming, archaeologists also discovered how the Neolithic people held huge feasts within their communities. And they ate meats, including beef and pork, which were often driven from hundreds of miles away on the back of carts and stuff, and as well as cheese. And on top of this, they drank mead, which is a fermented wine made with honey. You can still get it today, and sometimes barley beer as well. Now, over in Scandinavia which is the term that generically refers to those Norse countries such as, well, there are Iceland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden and Finland. The Norse people celebrated the festival of Yule, which you might recognise the term from the Yule log, which I'll talk about in just a second. And that was from the 21st of December, winter solstice, right through to January. So to commemorate these long nights, which is sometimes up to 23 hours of darkness a day in the far north, place like Lapland and so on, the men and uh, boys of the community would bring home huge logs to burn, like basically huge felled trees, and the festivities would last until the log had burned out, which would often take up to two weeks, and that log was known as the Yule Log. And the Norse people believed that each spark that came from the Yule Log marked the birth of a piglet or a calf for the forthcoming year. But it wasn't just these early Christmas dinners that bear similarity to our modern celebrations. Gifts were also exchanged. So the wealthier members of those communities exchanged bronze weaponry, which was imported from Europe, not quite the next day delivery where used to, and gold necklaces and sometimes gold buttons to make clothes with. And it's also highly likely that these ancient communities also celebrated with music. And instruments they'd use would be harps that would be made from gold for the wealthier uh, members or flutes which were constructed with bones. The bones of animals would put holes in them, make sort of flute or um, a kind of recorder with them. So the next kind of area I'm looking at is going to be the Romans. So pre-Christian origins, again, will go from roughly 750 BC up to the year zero. So the Romans also held winter celebrations, both before and after the birth of Christ, but we're mainly looking at before here. Um, Excuse me. 
The original Roman celebration was in honour of the god Saturn. Obviously, the planet Saturn is named after him, and he was a god of agriculture and plenty. And this festival is called Saturnalia. And this celebration began on the 17th of December and lasted for approximately five days. So again, it's round about the uh, Christmas period that we know today. Now, similarly to the Neolithic people, the Romans also celebrated with feasts. But interestingly, all social rules were overturned. So this meant that not only were slaves allowed to eat with their masters, but their masters actually served them. So in order to celebrate this, both slaves and masters wore something that was called a pileus, which was a cap of liberty, which was presented to slaves when they were freed. So it was as if they were free and their masters were serving them. Now, on top of all social norms being removed, some usually illegal activities were also allowed in Saturnalia, including gambling with dice. And people also wore colourful clothing rather than the usual white togas. And people also celebrated at home after the public feasting and again exchanged gifts with each other. So an example of a typical Roman gift would be something called a sigillaria, which was a small wax or pottery figure. So sometimes Romans gave each other satirical presents as well in the form of jokes or songs. And additionally, slaves could even criticise their masters with little to no repercussions. And it was the one time in the year that they were given time off. The next section we're looking at is going to be the birth of Jesus and the early Christmases from naught AD up to about the year 1000 or 1000. <clears throat> so, in the earliest years of the Christian faith, Christmas wasn't really considered a holiday, as the primary celebration was Easter, which celebrated the resurrection of Jesus when he died on the cross. However, in the mid-4th century, the church actually decided to mark the birth of Jesus as a celebratory holiday. But the Bible itself doesn't actually mention a birth date here for Jesus, but Pope Julius I actually ultimately decided on the 25th of December, and that's obviously still the date that we celebrate Christmas on today. But why did he decide on this date? So, it's commonly believed that he chose this date based around Saturnalia, the pagan festival we mentioned earlier. But it wasn't originally called Christmas either. It was actually referred to as the Feast of the Nativity. Again, food was a major part of these celebrations. And this custom spread, and there's accounts that record this celebration in Egypt in the year 432, and it's reached England by the 6th century. Now, another reason for choosing this date is that by embracing the traditional pagan festivals based around the winter solstice, the church hoped that people would embrace the festivities and thus embrace Christianity as well. So moving on a bit this time to the medieval period, which we're looking at from kind of the later medieval years, actually, from about 1000 to 1500. So by the Middle Ages, Christianity had largely replaced pagan celebrations in Europe. So after a period of fasting, medieval Christians celebrated from the 24th of December, obviously Christmas Eve as we know it now, to the 6th of January, which was called Twelfth Night, upon which they would exchange gifts with each other. Now, these festivities involved a lot of alcohol. So on Christmas Day, Christians would attend church and then celebrate it in a booze-fueled festivity, often with whole villages celebrating together. And it's also during England, it's also in England, sorry, during the Middle Ages, that the term Christmas is first recorded. And it was found in a Saxon book written in 1038 and was written as Christes Mace, literally meaning Christ's Mass. Now, although celebrating the birth of Jesus, medieval Christmases also involved many of the pagan traditions, which were mainly those from Saturnalia, including the slaves as masters' antics and the gift-giving. Now, the medieval people also looked back to their Norse forebearers and reintroduced the tradition of the Yule Log. 
So the wealthier people also decorated their houses with evergreens during the festive period and ate and drank very well. So an idea of the food they ate included boar's head, which is often decorated with different vegetables and styled in certain ways, as much as you can style a boar's head, I guess. And a drink called mulled braggart, which was a strong ale with honey and cinnamon with brandy added into it just for good measure. Now, medieval people also enjoyed games at Christmas time, and one was called the Lord of Misrule, and that was a medieval tradition where a beggar or a peasant or a student would be crowned as the Lord of Misrule, and they would go to richer people's houses and demand their best food and drink for his subjects, who were all the people he was playing with. Now, if the richer person failed to comply, they would often be targeted with pranks, so it's almost a little bit Halloween-y in this respect, I guess. But the idea behind the Lord of Misrule was so that the richer upper classes could repay their debts to society, their, whether real debts or imagined debts, by providing and entertaining the poor. So the next section we're looking at is going into the early modern period. So I'm going to sort of discuss the Tudor era first and then we'll go on from there. We're looking circa 1500 to about 1800 here. So in the Tudor era, which was, if we're counting from the very first, like the reign of King Henry VII up to the end of Elizabeth I's reign, we're looking at 1485 to 1603. So obviously in this period, England underwent numerous religious reforms from Henry VIII breaking with Rome and establishing the Protestant Church to then Queen Mary, Mary I, that's Bloody Mary, bringing back Catholicism, only for Elizabeth I to then bring back Protestantism again. However, Christmas celebrations were generally not too badly affected by this. So an example of an early Tudor Christmas involved plenty of drinking and games. There's a theme emerging here, isn't there? Um, so once again, celebrations often went on to Twelfth Night, which, as a reminder, is the 6th of January. So on Twelfth Night, a bean was baked into a cake, and whoever got the bean was crowned King of the Bean, or if a woman got it, she chose her king. And everyone had to imitate the king, such as drinking when he drank or coughing when he coughed. Bit of a weird one, but whatever floats the boat, I guess. And obviously in the Tudor era, dressing up plays and music were also popular, and these antics actually inspired Shakespeare's play Twelfth Night. So Henry VIII himself was actually a talented musician, and he wrote the Christmas song Green Groweth the Holly. And many of Henry VIII's friends and courtiers would also dress up as Robin Hood's men or Moors, which were like the Muslim population of the Iberian Peninsula, and they'd pretend not to recognise each other as another party game. Under Queen Elizabeth, she was much more into dancing at Christmas time, and she even had her own dancing chamber at Kenilworth Castle. But with the introduction of more global trade, particularly after Christopher Columbus's, inverted commas, discovery of the Americas in 1492, more spices and seasonings were available for the food. Now, Elizabeth is known to have hosted sugar banquets with refined sugar or cane sugar, which would have likely been imported from the Caribbean. And they included elaborate sugar models of castles, holly, dragons and goblets, all of which were edible. So it's little wonder that Elizabeth's teeth turned black and rotted from the amount of sugar that she ate. And Elizabeth also expected lavish gifts at Christmas time, and she was known to open them on New Year's Day and actually list their exact value. So talk about being a bit petty or what. However, in the mid-17th century, when Oliver Cromwell took leadership of England from 1649 to 60, his Puritan government banned Christmas and made it illegal, which was part of their strict rules as part of the vow to rid England of decadence and sin. However, everyone's favourite horrible histories monarch, or mine at least, Charles II, 
who reigned from 1660 to 85, was restored to the throne in 1660, and he restored much of what the Puritans had banned, including Christmas. And interestingly, this decision has still never formally been through Parliament, so technically Christmas is still illegal in England, but let's ignore that bit there. However, in America, the pilgrims who'd arrived at Plymouth Rock in 1620 were even more Puritan than Cromwell, and they actually outlawed Christmas from 1659 to 81 in Boston, and anyone who was seen to be celebrating Christmas there in that period was fined five shillings. But in contrast, in the Jamestown settlement in Virginia, Christmas was actually still celebrated, although after the American Revolution, many English traditions fell out of favour, and Christmas wasn't actually declared a federal holiday in the States until the 26th of June, 1780. Now, we're moving on to the best bit, which is the Christmas that we all associate with when we see decorations and cards and stuff, and that is of course the Victorian Christmas, Christmas in the 19th century. So it's fair to say that Christmas as we know it today is largely thanks to the Victorian period. The drunken rowdy celebrations from the Middle Ages and the early modern period were toned down and Christmas became more family focused. Um, so in the US the man often credited to changing Christmas is the author Washington Irving who in 1819 wrote a book called The Sketchbook of Geoffrey Crayon, Gent, which was a collection of stories about the celebration of Christmas in an English manor house. And as part of this, this included the tale of a squire who invited peasants into his home to celebrate Christmas with him. And the idea of this story was that Christmas should be a time of bringing people together, regardless of background or social status. However, even Irving's book mentions a return to the Middle Ages with a Lord of Misrule mentioned on more than one occasion. Now, across the Atlantic in England, another author was hugely influential in shaping Christmas as we know it. In 1843, Charles Dickens published A Christmas Carol, which has been developed into plays and numerous film adaptations over the years, and again it tells the tale of charity, of morality, and the importance of being together at Christmas time. And another guy we can credit actually is Prince Albert, who was Queen Victoria's German husband, and he brought over a tradition from his native homeland, which was the Christmas tree. And this caught on quickly, as did decorating them with lights, candles, no health and safety protocols back then, and presents. <clears throat> so as the family became a more central part of Christmas, children were often given presents, although these tended to be quite modest, such as oranges, nuts and sweets, although some wealthier children could be given toys, such as a little toy train or something. And Boxing Day, which is the 26th of December, also originated in this period with Christmas box tips to servants and tradesmen being saved until the 26th of December, hence being called Boxing Day. And a multitude of other Christmas traditions also emerged in the 19th century, including Christmas cards, Christmas crackers and eating turkey rather than the traditional goose. Shout out to my friend Callum there, you'll know what I mean. And love it or loathe it, Christmas pudding was even invented during this period. And another one of Christmas's favorite, most famous characters can also be credited to the 19th century, Father Christmas or Santa Claus. And he is based off Saint Nicholas, who was actually a Turkish monk born in around 280 AD, who gave gifts to the poor. So that's why he's like the patron saint of Christmas. He gave gifts to those who were less fortunate than himself. So in 1822, the American minister, Clement Clark Moore, penned a Christmas poem which was entitled An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, which I'm sure you all know, but you'll probably know it better by its opening line, "'Twas the night before Christmas." Now, the poem depicts St. Nicholas as a jolly man who rides a sleigh that's pulled through the sky by flying reindeer to deliver toys to children all over the world. 
Now, the iconic red and white version of Santa Claus, we know him today. It can be argued that he can be traced back to 1881, or I'll give another description in just a moment. Where We go to 1881 because the political cartoonist Thomas Nast drew on Moore's poem to create the image of Santa that we know today, but I'll mention another way in just a minute that you might be more familiar with. And also, many Christmas carols were also written in the Victorian era, including Once in Royal David's City, which was 1849, Good King Wenceslas, 1853, and Deck the Halls, 1862. So, the last section we'll move on to are modern interpretations of Christmas, which will go from circa 1900 to the present, no pun intended with the present there. Now, Christmas in the modern era is largely inspired by the Victorian Christmas, with the usual Christmas cards being exchanged, stockings being filled, presents sent to one another, and Christmas crackers being pulled at the dinner table. However, the main aspect of Christmas in the modern era is its commercialisation, so by the early 20th century many shops had caught onto the Christmas bug and advertised, unsurprisingly, toys for children such as teddy bears, dolls and trains. And even throughout the First World War, the Great Depression in the 30s and the Second World War and people were struggling, didn't have much money, they still ensured that they celebrated Christmas as well as they could given the circumstances. I mean we just think back to 1914 and the Christmas Eve truce between the Allied troops, the British troops sorry and the Germans where they played football together. Um, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and that's just an example of how important Christmas has become to people even in the 20th century. Now another argument for the representation of Santa as I mentioned earlier can be traced back to Coca-Cola in 1931 where the artist Haddon Sundblom was commissioned to create the image of Santa as we know him today as in the big fat jolly man in the red suit and that's because obviously Coca-Cola's colours are red and white but before there are depictions of Santa who he was wearing green and white so you still see that occasionally but not not very often so we normally think of Santa as red and white which probably is uh, a contribution of Coca-Cola there. Now while the post-World War II era saw a boom in family size and many of the parents in that era who gave birth to the generation known as the baby boomers having grown up either in the Great Depression or having experienced the Great Depression they saw it as an opportunity to give their children gifts which they'd never had the chance to have, have as children because their family's really poor so that's again another another um, sort of development in Christmas of why it's very family orientated and it's mainly focused now on children getting gifts now although Christmas carols were hugely popular in the Victorian era and still are today still get carol concerts often held at churches or people groups choirs going uh, Christmas caroling around the festive period um, contemporary and sometimes secular Christmas songs also became much more popular sort of from I mean you had a few people like Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and Elvis Chuck Berry having got songs in the 60s the 50s and 60s with you know sort of interpretations of um, classic Christmas carols uh, but they also became a lot more popular from the 70s onwards as I mentioned with numerous classics being released including Slade's Merry Christmas Everybody which got to number one in 1973 and Wizards I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day which was also 1973 that finished at number two two absolute Christmas classics going in for it there in the 80s we had Band-Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas, Wham! Last Christmas, Shaking Stevens, Merry Christmas Everyone, The Pogues and Kirsty McCall, Fairytale of New York and my absolute favourite one, we go to 2003, I'm going to see them this month and I cannot wait to see this song perform live, it is of course The Darkness, Christmas Time, Don't Let the Bells End. 
That's my favourite Christmas song of all time. So let me know what your favourite song is in the comments section if you enjoyed this video. And don't forget to like, comment, share, subscribe, etc. And I hope that you all have a very Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year as well. See you next time. Merry Christmas.